0: Welcome to the Hope United Church Podcast. We are one church with two locations. For video live streams of our services and more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. We are now at Chapter Nine. We were in Chapter Eight for six weeks, seven weeks maybe. Uh, and now we're here in Chapter Nine. Chapter Nine's a bit shorter, so it should only be three or four weeks in Chapter Nine. We're not in any rush here, no. Uh, and we're just going through, through it as, as as is helpful to your life. Uh, I'm going to put up the message title now and then I'll just share it. But the, the message title is, is Jesus Heals the Blind Man. It's very deep. It's a very deep title. Uh, I just want to say this. I read a post this week, an article this week about a, a world-renowned communicator. Uh, this kind of stuff gets me in trouble. When, uh, and he was talking about message titles. And he was talking about people won't come to church if the message title's like that. Who wants to come to fellowship? Part one. Nobody will come to church for that. Uh, nobody will come to church if the message title is Fellowship Part 2, The Gospel of John Part 4, The Gospel of John Part 15. And when I read the post, i will be shocked. I thought, they would if they were interested in change and they were interested in the Word of God. They wouldn't be. Inter- they wouldn't come if, they, if, they, if it was all about entertainment. I cannot, I, I'm not going to speak for you all. Well. I don't know anybody who's here this morning who's here because of the message title. no. I don't know. I don't know that I've ever went to a service, even when I was more contemporary, because of the message title. I'm gone there because that message title's good. I'm up for that. You know, and... No, I, I found it shocking. I, I, I had to bite my tongue, but I found it shocking. Because, and I understand I used to spend weeks, months, right, let's come up with a quirky title so that people can see how smart I am. The bottom line is, see, next week, next year, I want to be able to get into these posts and be able to go, I want to be able to find that. I don't want some cryptic clue about what we're talking about here. This is what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about Jesus healing the blind man. Yeah. No, and that's it. And anything you want to look for, it, you'll be able to find it because it's no really. We're not here for titles. We're here to understand and learn God's word. Yeah. Uh, and placing a high emphasis on that is I, I, I can't comprehend why we would go there. It, it's a, it's a huge disservice to believers. Think that they would only come to church to be entertained or only to come to church. I think they come to church because we're devoted and we're devoted to the word. No, uh, I don't know anybody. I don't even know a non-believer who would be looking in Google to think, oh, they're, they're talking about that. I'm going to go along there. Uh, I don't even know anybody would do that. It's crazy. So uh, if, if I was going to put a subhead and I would put too consumed to have compassion, and let me just, before we get into you, uh, chapter nine. Read a wee bit, or just can of give an overview of Chapter eight? A long chapter that started with the woman caught in adultery, as we remember, seems like ever ago, didn't it? The woman caught in adultery, which which was at the start of John Chapter eight, but really was uh, you no. Know, as we learned, that 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 is nowhere that was placed. You no, know, that was no serious events. The woman caught in adultery that was paraded in front of Jesus, and they were going to stone her because she was caught in adultery. You no. Know, We've learned that, that that should never have been placed in chapter 8 of e, e John. It, it was, it's not that it did not happen, but it did not happen then. And, no, and it's well documented that we know that. Uh, but mostly chapter 8 was Jesus confronting the Jews at the Feast of the Booths or the Feast of the Tabernacles during these feasts where he said, you know, and at the end of chapter 7 it says that he did not go. He, he held back and then he goes up at a specific time. He, uh, to the the feast of the tabernacles jesus is timing always perfect Going up to the uh the tabernacle just at the right time and he's he's communicating with the jews about this feast and it starts with saying that he was the light of men. Remember, we spoke about the fires that were being on the altar, and Jesus says you've got all this fire and all this ritualistic stuff, but I'm the light of men. And then it talks about in the scripture in chapter eight about the water that the, the Jewish leaders would go to the pool of Shalom and they would get water and they would pour it all over the altar. That was all symbolic to honour what God done and provided for the Jews when they were in the wilderness. And this was what the feast was about. And Jesus comes in and we spoke much about that. But uh, he then talked about people who allegedly believed it says, then those who believed, he debated with those who believed. And he says, if you remain in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that's what separates a believer from somebody who says they believe. All my life I said I believed, but I didn't know the word. Yeah. No, And this is what separates believers from People who say they believe is that if you remain in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know, that statement, you will know that the truth will set you free. You know, you see it everywhere. You know what I mean? You'll see it in a a, a, kid's play area. You know what I mean? You see it in crazy, on buses. You you can see it anywhere in badges. But that doesn't mean anything, you know, because you need to understand the part before it. If you remain in my word... You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And this is where he went. And as the chapter concludes, the Jews pick up stones and they're ready to kill Jesus. This is within the last six months of Jesus' walk on earth. Uh, And they go to pick up stones. It actually says, verse 59. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them. So they passed by. Now we don't know, maybe Jesus went invisible. Possible. Possibly, just maybe, went invisible and just kind of floated through them. No, but either way, either way, he, he left. He left the tabernacle, and this is what it takes us up to chapter nine. And I'm going to read. The, I'm going to read the twelve verses. Then I'll get through. I'm not sure I'll get through the twelve verses, but we'll do our best. It says now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, "Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents?" That he was born blind, Jesus answered and said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me. Well it is day, the night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. And he said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam." Sh- translated sent. So he went and washed and came back, saying, Therefore the neighbours and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He's like him. He said, I am he. Uh, therefore he said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Shalom and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? And I said, I do not know. Let's pray this morning, Lord Jesus. We come to you this morning as we open up your word. We would ask that you would continue to give us revelation and understanding of your word. That what we hear this morning goes to a, a depth into your heart and a spirit that starts to change us. And that your work will be done in our life that will have a, a deeper understanding and a deeper conviction and a deeper commitment to your word and your ways, that we would live them all the days of your life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And the Holy Chapter 9 is taking up with this one event. So the same message title will be every week. It says, Me Thinking, uh, Jesus Heals the Blind Man. That'll be for the next four weeks. No, that'll allow me to study instead of thinking I'm smart. Uh, and the whole Chapter 9 will be taken up with uh, this one event. And uh, when John writes, here, this this miracle in deep detail. It's, it's always John's purpose and the whole purpose of the Gospel of John, as we know, is that through his writings that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that we would have life in his name. This is the whole purpose of the Gospel of John, which separates it. Less than 10% of uh, the other Gospels uh, are in John's Gospel. It's, it's very unique as God is, as John is... Revealing the deity and the sovereignty of God, and what it's like, what it was like for Him as a man, He walked with God in the flesh, and the Word became flesh, and He He dwelt among us as the only begotten Son of God, full of truth and grace. And this is John's in-depth account. Out of all the miracles incidentally Jesus performed, He never done more miracles than He did healing blind people. Uh, He done. But he done in four separate occasions. He raised the dead three times. He healed the blind four times. He made the death here twice. But here he's done it four times. He probably done it more, but it's documented four times, giving sight to the blind, telling people he is the light of the world is a very important message that Jesus wants to portray. And he does it here again. And it's really to illustrates and hammered the point that we're all spiritually blind for birth. This is what he's... This is why he's highlighting it so much. And chapter 9 is definitely a direct follow-on from what he spoke about and done in chapter 8. And he uses a physical illustration in chapter 9 and how he is the light of men and how when you drink from him, you will not thirst again. And he's he's not just talking about it and debating about it. He's he's shown it. And chapter 9 may not have happened the exact time as soon as he left the temple. Uh, he left the temple that some scholars believe it would have been... It could have been weeks or even up to two months uh, and he would have went and done other stuff. But he's, he's still in the region of Jerusalem because we know that because the man went and washed in the Pool of Shalom, which was in the region of Jerusalem. And uh, so it might have been a few days or maybe even weeks or a month or so, but it's definitely within the vicinity. Okay, let's delve into the text here of chapter 9 and gain some insight into this miraculous miracle. And it's, it's an astounding absolutely astounding portion of scripture. It really is. Uh, and But we're going to get through it just bit, a bit, bit at a time and we'll see how far we get. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. And this was a common place for the lame and, and the beggars and them who were blind to sit outside the temple. This is where they would often sit. You read about it again in Acts chapter I think it's Acts chapter 2 or Acts chapter 3 where, where, where John and Peter no, reached the man who was lame. And it was often where they'd done, this was an occupation. This would have been, the family would have sent people here. The family would send the lame. And this is a Jewish, young Jewish man. Maybe somebody says he's up to about the age of 30, but he was, he was young. But, uh, and he would have been sitting outside. Some of you you young people think 30 is old. Listen, they think, see the older you get. I'm 50 nearly. I know. It's a miracle, isn't it? It's a, that's a, if you've not heard a miracle, there one right there. That's what you call good living, by the way. Uh, so I'm nearly 50, and uh, I don't know, I feel about 26. Do you know what I mean? I don't. I I feel as if I look about 26, no? and, and then the young people are like, no, you don't. You even dance like an old man now. You know I mean? So, uh, so here they would be, they'd be sitting outside the temple, and... Uh, There'd be a chance of getting alms to get uh, money, and it was common that they would sit there because when the Jews would get into the tabernacle, it was part of the it was part of their thing that they would go and get the poor, and that would be part of the law and the tradition. Uh, here we go. We do not know why, and this is and when we read it. We don't know why the disciples knew this man was blind for birth. We don't know. It doesn't he tell you other than either the blind man told them, yeah. or he maybe have told them. Or he was a common figure in the area that he was always running about, so people can oh, there's that blind guy. He's been blind forever. Uh, that that's irrelevant. Why ask the question? Here is a blind man sitting, and here is Jesus who can heal, and the disciples already know he can heal. They've already seen him performing so many miracles, uh, and already know that before the the disciples have seen Jesus feed the 5,000 with a couple of loaves and a couple of fish. He's seen them turn water into wine. He's seen them heal the, the man who was dead, know the son in name. He's seen them perform astronomical amount of miracles. And yet here they're arriving here at this blind man and the first thing they think he has is, wonder what caused this? And The disciples already know he can, but that's in the radar. So they ask a theological question. Who sinned, the man or the parents? And and what Jesus sees is a man in need. And what the disciples hear is a theological debate. I give you some of the church today. No, we've got a theological debate going on and then you've got people in need. And uh, especially more in the reformed church, we can get so caught up in apologetics, which I get. uh, And we don't meet the needs of people. I want to mention this book because this jumped at me as I was studying this. Jesus had fled the scene, okay? Jesus had fled the scene or slipped away or went invisible to a hostile crowd who were trying to kill him. Question, how often are we missing the broken or the hurting or the inflicted because we're still trying to get over somebody rejecting us? Ouch. You know, here's Jesus leaving the temple. He's been rejected. In fact, he's been worse than rejected. People are trying to kill him. But yet, as he walks along the road, whether it was that day or the next day, wherever he'd done it, he sees a man who's blind and he's moved. He's moved with compassion. Jesus was always moved with compassion. Yet the disciples, they're not even considering that. And as I think about this, I, 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 I've experienced it in my life. I can be so consumed with feeling rejected. No, because Jesus, he, it's not a feeling of rejection he's got. There's a feeling that Jesus has been rejected. Some of you just feel rejected. We've not been rejected. You just feel it. Jesus has been full on rejected here. But yet he's still considering other people. And so many are missing compassion of Jesus that, that we can bring into people's world because we're consumed with self and our own battles. Think of that in your own life. You'll get, you're at work You don't like what the boss says, you're driving home, you don't notice MD. We're consumed with self, 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 that we can't even go and help people because we're too busy trying to deal with it. She said this to me and then he said that to me, and I'm not happy about this. And you know the script, you know the conversations we've all had. I'm just going to include his own that. You know what I mean? Too busy wondering no, oh, starting me a daisy chain. He loves me, he loves me, no, he loves me, he loves me no, he loves me, he, he loves me no. Oh, I just I just can't get any love. There are people broken and hurting, but we can't see them because we're too busy. We're too busy being consumed with our own sickness and our, our own selfishness. You know, I I I would love to help, but just today, I'm just not feeling quite myself today. You know. And we're missing, we're missing people, we're missing people who we could love and who we could serve. And here, the, the disciples, they're, they're consumed with their own stuff. Yeah. You're being so consumed with your own feelings of rejection or anger or doubt that you don't actually notice other people's pain and hurting, other people's suffering, other people's uh, dilemmas. Yeah. So wrapped up in our own wee bubble in our own wee world our own problems and oh, they didn't even, nobody's phoned me since yesterday. No, no wet Give me a break. No, give me a break. Blind man's here, never mind a blind man. Have you seen my wee cut finger? You know, just so, that's just what can happen. I'm using extremes here, but this is what goes on in, in, in the psyche of human. We're so into our own stuff. Too busy, eh? I remember a few years ago, there was a girl in her church, and she was getting on a bus. She was getting on a bus, and as she was getting on a bus, there were a young girl falling off the bus. And she'd fell off the bus, and her clothes were all ripped. This was in Lanarkshire. And as she got on the bus, the young girl fell off the bus, and all her clothes were ripped, and it was obviously she had been... She'd been abused. Uh, and the young girl was on her way to work in the morning. She's on her way to work in the morning. And she stepped off the bus. She, made a fo- she says to the young girl, just hold on a minute. And she made a phone call to her boss and says, listen, I'm going to be late. There's something come up here and I need to go and deal with it. And she took the young girl, she took her jacket off and put it around her. And took the young girl, took her to the police station and then helped her through the day. How many of us would have been on that bus thinking we'd be at not even notice that? Consumed with our own stuff. Now that's an extreme, but what, what do we miss on a daily basis because we're too busy trying to deal with the lack of love that we think we've no got? Or, or the lack of approval we've no got? Or dealing with resentments or anger or bitterness? Or trying to prove that we're special or somebody amazing that we've actually no seen people? Yeah. And here Jesus walking along the road and he's, He's been deeply, in fact, he's not just been. Ask yourself this question. See if you were walking along the road, you were having a debate with somebody and they all picked up stones to kill you. Do you think you would turn the corner and go, oh, they're a poor guy, I better go and help him. Honestly, you'd be on Instagram and everything. all social media, you want to see what happened to me today? You wouldn't wouldn't have time. eh? You wouldn't have time. You'd be too busy. You'd be too, too busy having your pity party and your story. Busy reliving your day, what happened, and what people have said, or what people were going to do to you, how they didn't respect you, how they spoke to you in a certain way, how you're consumed with that event. This is this is what sticks out to me. That Jesus, it's not that he's talking. It's not that he has a sitting in and goes like, "You man, I'm shocking how they treated me there, wasn't it? I'm absolutely shocking." You don't read about Jesus on the cross. I know this is a, this is a bit of a shocker. I've, I've done this before. And Jesus is on the cross. He doesn't go like, well, he can't do that anyway, but if he could, he can't do that, he can't move, right? But imagine he do, I've said stuff like this before in the religious people, went like, ooh, Imagine Jesus on the cross. Can I just say one more thing? This is a disgrace. Can I just say one thing? This is just no right. Huh. Never. Never consume his own stuff. Too busy and the hurt or not even getting noticed. And Jesus has just been rejected by the very people he came to love. So it's not it's no like somebody didn't look at him right. Somebody didn't text him. Somebody, this is major. Yeah. His purpose is no sabotaged. But the crowd's opinion of him or people's opinion of him or what's happened to him. How many of us can sit here and honestly say, That are what we God and are purpose to serve Christ and love people and bring the gospel. How many can sit here and say that it's no getting sabotaged at times mm-hmm. by our own agenda. Mm, Ouchy, innit? Yeah. But it's true, innit? it. Yeah. Our own agenda. Some of is let me just fire this out. Some of you'll even think it's no getting sabotaged your own agenda. It's getting sabotaged. It's, it's getting sabotaged. It's not really our own agenda. It's cause we're loving somebody else. Okay. Let me just say here, being obsessed with trying to get somebody else well is also your issue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get obsessed with trying to get somebody else well. is often your issue, it's a codependency thing that we that we talk about here. It's a cuddling thing. Yeah. That's not necessarily about the other person. That's about that's about that's often about us. Yeah. So that's that's still sabotaging what we should be doing. Yeah. Uh, just in case we're thinking, I oh, know, but I was helping. I oh, know, but this... <laughs> it's not the same. Yeah. How many people are experiencing no? Con- <laughs> How many people are not experienced compassion or Christ's duty over debating? <laughs> Let the disciples say, "Let's over debate. Let's debate about who's evil. Let's debate about who's evil. Who caused the evil? This is what they're asking. Who's caused evil? Who's co- Let's have a debate. But this never mind. The guy's blind. I mean, the guy's blind. He's been blind all his life. Forget it. He's been blind all his life. They're not a deal, no matter. <laughs> it seems to be the way we think. We're obsessed with solving the problem. Yeah. When you think we're living in a world where we're obsessed we solving the problem or even better we're obsessed we finding the cause. Now let me just fire out a buffer here and say that I'm not against that we need to find the cause of problems. When I get saved in church saved outside church and went to church one of the alarming things for me was is, was the lack of awareness in Christians. Yeah. You know how they didn't know anything about how they felt or they couldn't capture thoughts. They never renewed their mind, so they were really shallow. So, I understand why we need to understand cause, what caused things, the cause and effect of things. I get that to an extent, uh, but uh, here's the disciples. They're all about the cause. How many? How many is do we think that? I'm talking for myself here as well that I'm no praying to God for an answer, I'm no seeking God, I'm no getting into the Word, I'm no praying for understanding, but I'm trying to figure out the cause in my own head. I'm always trying to fix the problem in my own head. Uh, And we're obsessed about solving the problem or finding the cause. Uh, We need to solve it, we need to, We need to find a reason. Why has that happened? Why is that? What's the reason with that? I wonder what's going on there. What's the reason? This is what the disciples are doing. They're not bothering about healing the guy. They're not bothering about the guy getting well. They just want to know why. They just want to know why. And they need to solve it. They need to reason. We need the cause. Uh, I'm not saying we should never, but like the disciples, sometimes we've got the saviour, we've got Jesus right next to us so we can solve the problem. We've got Jesus who can solve the problem. We've got the great physician who can solve the problem. Yet we're obsessing over the cause. wonder what caused that. wonder what's going on there. Yeah. Analyzing. wonder why they don't like me. Did I say something? Did I not say something? What did I say? What did no All that stuff. No. All that over-analyzing. What did I do? What did I not do? What could this be? What could it not be? Was it because of that? Is that why they looked at me the wrong way? Is it because I said that? Okay. Let me just... Uh, Let me just move on here because we'll end up running out of time. Uh, I'd been studying this week uh, about, and I didn't even know why I was studying it. Uh, Sorry, I've just lost my notes here, so. uh, I was studying this week about the Enlightenment. Sorry about that. I was studying about the Enlightenment. I was wondering why I was studying the the Enlightenment. And what happened is in in history is the Enlightenment is when, back in the 18th century, during the Enlightenment, what happened is it's when people started to reason. It was also called the Age of Reason. Uh, The Age of Reason. And during the Age of Reason or the Day of Enlightenment, what happened is people were starting to fall away from... uh, God, if you like. They were starting to fall away from God. uh, And what happened is that... As they fell away from God... During the 17th and 18th century... People like Francis Bacon and René Descartes... Mathematical revolutionary Isaac Newton... Where science and scientific understanding was more understood. Oh, this is good. This is what happened. And as I I relate this to this... And even in what's happening in the day society... Oh, this is good, however... This newfound knowledge, you no know, trying to find the causey things, psychological analysis. We're living in the day, the post-modernism, where everyone's got an answer. Everyone, we can solve. You don't need God to solve the problem. You can solve it by reason. You can solve it by understanding your thinking. This is all the cycle. Psych- Psychological stuff. But this is no new. This happened in the late 17th century, 18th century, when people like Francis Bacon was trying to then start with science. Isaac Newton came about. And what starts with science and discovery slowly but surely steps away from science and discovery and people's own individuality? Uh, No, so that you can solve the problem yourself. You can solve. And here's the problem with psychology when it's overused in church, which it is today. We're we're absolutely obsessed with solving our own problem and we get so deep, you know. When I used to be in AA, almost everybody went deep into understanding why they drank when they were, because they never get a bite when they were five and a packet of cheese and onion flew by when they were seven. And so I started drinking when I was nine. Nearly everybody, I don't say nearly everybody, but a high proportion of people end up studying and they get into this depth about why they are the way they are and why they're not the way they are. And the majority of them then become counsellors. Yeah. Oh, just Google counsellor. Everybody's a counsellor now. Counsellor about everything. Everybody's a flipping counsellor, isn't they? Counsellor this, counsellor that. No, everybody's a counsellor and there's a programme. There's a programme for everyone and everybody's a counsellor. It's hammed in church as well. It's transferred into church because there's a programme for everyone in church. And do you know why there's a programme for everyone in church? Because the Word's not getting preached. You need a programme when the Word's not getting preached. The Word don't take care of the stuff. But we don't bother with the Word taking care of the stuff because that's it's just, it's just too old-fashioned. Oh, let's keep them happy. Let's get a fancy title. Let's get a fancy title and preach a different message that will keep people happy and content. So what happened is during the 18th century, late 1780s up to the 1830s, is this new move started after the Dark Ages, it was called, or the Renaissance period. The Renaissance period is when people like Michelangelo, uh, Taylor, and, and the other turtles. <laughs> uh, whatever they're called... <laughs> when, when, the, when the turtles were painting. Right? So, and what happens is, is they were impressionists, you understand? So during the impressionist time of the renaissance time, this would have been 16th century, 17th century, even after the Reformation, what would have happened is, is you get these people who were painting, like portraits. People were starting to look at self. They were starting to become more self-indulgent. Now, this was a kickback, which is understandable about the colonisation in the mind. I don't want to go too deep here. What are you talking about? No, about the colonisation where, where God was sovereign, you know, and people, you know, but there were a lot of control within that, especially the early Puritans in uh, England. There was a lot of control in it. So as I, as I kick back to this, people were starting to look at individuality, yeah. Okay. This is 17th, 18th century. Uh, people were starting to look at individuality. And as they started to look at that in the Renaissance period, what comes off the back of that is, is the Enlightenment, it was called, or the Age of Reason, when people could figure out their own problems themselves. Yeah. Well, no one, Jesus, and I want you to picture this, just in case you think I'm, I'm back, by the way. I get lost there, but I'm back. <laughs> right? So, uh, I usually, I usually disguise when I'm away there, but I never disguise it. I just let you stone on that, you know what I mean? That's, sometimes you've just got to do that, you know what I mean? No, I was lost. Hey. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so, think of this and, and, and trying to understand why are you talking about this? Here's Jesus standing next to a blind man and you've got the disciples debating cause. Yes. They're trying to debate the cause and trying to, as if that's going to help. And sometimes we can get so obsessed with figuring out the cause that that we lose the very point that Jesus is beyond the cause. He's beyond all that. So what happens is in this renaissance period, during the learning of cause, the learning of individuality, during this, it starts to drift away from God. Always, doesn't it? Always, the, always, it just takes a step away from God. and the modern contemporary church, it just steps away from God because now we don't we have tools for life, Jesus. He's not the saviour of the world. He's no, he's no Jesus' Lord. You know, we call him, some people have got some names for Jesus now, innit? Him upstairs. Look at that. The big man. What are you talking about the big man? What are you talking about Billy Connolly here? No, it's, you know, and, and we've lost any, comp- any, un- any reverence and yeah. amongst us. You know, I, I just pray to the big man. we talking about you. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the Lord, your life. Yeah. But when we step away from this, that's what it becomes. Jesus just becomes, I heard somebody saying it. You've heard me saying it. He's, he's, he's like, mod, he's just another Oprah. Yeah. No, he's like Gandhi. Gandhi? No, he's just another idea. He's an idea. And what happens is, is, we step away and we're into all this cause. And this is what happened in the age of reason. And as they start to step into the age of reason, God gets slowly but surely put aside because he's no longer needed because we can solve the problem ourselves. Yeah. Just what the, the disciples are trying to solve the problem. Jesus, is you'd think, you'd go, oh, listen, we've no got a clue, but could you heal him? Yeah. We don't know, but can you deal with that? What happened as a result of this, and this is amazing how God operates, is the is enlightenment the or the age of reason started to grow out of control. God raised up two men in particular, but he raised up quite a few, but two in particular. A man called Jonathan Edwards, 18th century. You should, you should read his stuff. Mind-blowing. Get a dictionary when you're reading it, but, but mind-blowing. Jonathan Edwards and a guy called George Whitfield... And George Whitefield and Jonathan Edwards started what was known as the Great Awakening. The Great Awakening, the last, maybe not the last, there was one in the 50s, but the first Great Revival that had happened in the world and especially in the colonies in America. And what they were saying is they were standing against this, obsessed with the cause and obsessed with dealing with your own head and obsessed with trying to fix your own problems with your own understanding. And what they said is, is, and it was a fight against this, it was a kickback against it. And uh, what started as a positive journey away from being over-controlled Just got out of control. And Jonathan Edwards started to preach the gospel. And he was a quiet speaker, but he spoke with such boldness. He says, the problem is not that you can find the own cause of the problem. We understand that you feel contained. And the reason you feel contained is is because you don't know Jesus personally. You don't know Jesus as the Lord and Saviour of your life. And this is why you're veering away to trying to fix your own stuff. See, when you look at the world, I don't know if you did us that you look, you look at people walking about, you see in a shopping mall, that a shopping mall's a good place to be, and people are just going about, and you, I think to myself, does any of them have an inkling whatsoever of who Jesus is? Have they any idea of the, the stuff that they're doing to try and fix the cause that they don't even know that they've got? Is any of them aware they've never tasted and seen that the Lord is good? And Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield on a big white horse. John, George Whitfield used to ride up and down the coast and his white horse and he would jump off and he would preach the gospel and say, repent, turn to Christ. You can have a personal relationship with Jesus. And it counteracted the enlightenment yeah. and it created a revival. Wow. An amazing revival. And I, call, me, call me a Romantic. Why can we know stuff why can we know of that again? Yeah. As a kickback to postmodernism. Yeah. Yeah. That can we not have revival that people are away in this self-help? Shelf help. Many self-help books have you read? I've got I've got hundreds of them that I've read about a third of them. <laughs> just for footage. Self-help books, you know. Six easy ways to this, seven ways to this, eight, no why men wear shoes and women wear dresses or something like that, innit? The monk who sold his Ferrari. Another one. Classic, innit? The Alchemist. That's the classic, you know? What's that other one? The Shack. Jesus is a fat black woman. Know what I mean? That's the Shack. Jesus is a fat black woman, not a movie. That's what it ends up like. And we've we've made him into this philosopher or this other thing. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. The shack, read the shack, Read the shack, you know, and it's all. Do you know what, all these things do, they, they keep you in charge. Yeah. So this age of reason, enlightenment, and it was constant journey towards secularism. And the great the awakening started with bold preaching of the folly of man. It also said that you don't need to be an age of reason because you can learn everything about who you are through God's word. Yeah. And get there by truly knowing who sets you free. And this was the great awakening. It was an amazing thing if you ever read about it. How often have we racked our brain? Ask yourself, how often do you rack your brain to problem solve? Mm-hmm. I'm sure we all have racked your brain to problem solve and you never sought prayer. Never sought prayer. How often do we rack our brain to problem? I wonder what the problem is. But never sought prayer. And never sought prayer and just left it there. <laughs> often we do that. We pray and then we go away and then we go back. It? So it was just. Okay, verse 3 to 5. Getting on far here. Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me. While well, it is day, the night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And Jesus is no saying the man has never committed a sin. He's simply saying that sin has not caused it. He's also, is no saying sin can't cause affliction because it can. But not all affliction is sin. Job was not sinning when he was afflicted. Paul's thorn was his sin. However, although all affliction can't be attributed to be sin, it cannot be attributed to purpose. Yeah. Every single bit of it can be attributed to purpose. And the book of James says, consider it all joy when you face and fall into various trials, knowing that it will be other. And the kids went, whoosh. In fact, you wouldn't even need to say whoosh. He could have said none. <laughs> Didn't even need to say anything, he could have just went, that's it. That's what he did with the centurion. See so, you know the centurion guy that came and he went, like, oh, just get back him, he's alright. What? did he need to get into this whole thing? Lay him here, clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Shalom, which translated, sent, he went and washed and he came back seeing. Why this act? Could have Jesus just spoke? Did he need to make mud? Be clay? Many have speculated why that, oh, honestly. I must have read about 50 things why he'd done it. Here's the truth, you ready for it? It's deep. Don't know don't know I don't know why he done it he certainly didn't he I believe it could be only some people say this this is kind of some people say he was just trying to you know that we came from the dust and he he made Adam from the dust so that was that that was the one conclusion here's the most common probably logical reason is Jesus didn't he attach his cell to any specific way healing people like the way we do in the modern charismatic movement you know the leg no, you're sitting in the seat with a leg and you, you, one leg's bigger than another and you do that thing with a leg thing, you know. Oh, as if Jesus done that. Right, sit in the seat, let me see it. I went to a thing. Any of you ever been in that thing? So you sit in a seat, you get two chairs, right? It's madness. Right? So you sit in a seat and you, somebody holds your feet like that. Google it, you, don't Google it. And you get two people's feet and one's bigger than another, one leg's bigger than another. It's the way you sit in the chair and then they go like, oh, that's it, your legs grew back. That happens a million times. I've seen it. I've, I've seen it. In a, a bit, I've seen it at least a hundred times. That's it. You know, you've got one leg. It's, it's a bit like that. You ever do that? You ever do that? Then you. You, go. you ever do that stupid thing? Right? No, you go like that. I can touch the wall, right? Don't want to touch the cross. I touch the wall. Oh, short. Sure. It's as stupid as that. And people are going, oh, wow. Right, imagine Jesus coming along. Right, this is, done in the New Testament here. He's come along and say, lame here, lame here. Right, lame, get two chairs. Oh, here we go. One leg bigger than the other. We go about this the exact same way. And this is the whole reason that Jesus has done something unique. No, no, I'm going to just spit. Make a bit of mud. (laughs) Dab them on his eyes. They're like, where is that? Jesus can heal any way he wants. He can Restore people anyway he wants. There's no set rule or set way now. Jesus heals. Uh, if he wants to spit, he will. One thing for sure is, is he loved performing, and, and we'll get into this next week. He loved performing miracles in the Sabbath, and here's another one. This is the Sabbath again. He loved to do stuff less in the Sabbath. Here's one thing you couldn't do in the Sabbath, okay, during the Jewish thing, and this is what he's always getting at, and and this will unfold over the next few weeks about about really what he's trying. Do you remember we spoke about it in John chapter five when he healed the man, pick up your bed and walk? You remember that? Yeah. Pick up your bed and walk. And why did he only heal one man at the pool? And then we discover as you look, read the scripture, he wanted all the Jews to see him walking about with a bed. Yeah. Pick up your bed and walk. He's walking about with this pallet like that. So the Jews could see him walking with it on a Sunday mm-hmm. or on their, on their Sabbath. Like that. That's shocking. Never mind the guy get healed. Healed's irrelevant. Never mind it. That's shocking. Carrying a bed in a Sunday. He's no walk for 30 years. Never mind he's no walk for 30 years. He's carrying a bed in a Sunday. That's how the order. That's how this is how the religion controls your life. So, one of the things you couldn't do in a Sabbath, just on an offshoot, one of the things you couldn't do in a Sabbath, you couldn't make a hole with your finger in the ground. Who decided that? Who did. You got all these scholars. You got all these Jewish in the Sanhedrin. All these scholars, you no. Know. All oh, right. What's work? What's working on a Sunday? What's what? No, you. I'm in Northern Scotland. You're only allowed to put. In some places, you tied up swings. You no, know, so that somebody when you push a swing, that's heavy, isn't it? Don't push a swing. That's work. You know what I mean, so what they used to do is, is, they said that you're not allowed to make a hole in the ground with your finger. Yep. Because that would mean that you may be planting a seed. That means you're working. But what you were allowed to do was spit. I know. What? Who decides that? So some people think that, no, he just spat in the ground and that's how he made the bit of mud because he's wanting to show it to these Jews like oh, I've not broke the law. I'm allowed to spit, aren't I? And he's actually shown the ridiculousness. He's shown the ridiculousness of religion. And the ridiculousness he rules and control and containment. Spartan made paste and then he sent them out to the pool. Incidentally, it was the same pool in the previous chapter that the priest went to pour water over the altar. I mentioned that. Why did Jesus know heal in Mass? I believe he never healed in Mass as you look at this as. Because healing in Mass doesn't produce a relationship, it produces an experience. Predominantly, I'm not saying he couldn't heal in mass, but it doesn't produce an exp- it produces an experience rather than a relationship. Often, it needs a personal touch. I've studied different things about children who have no received cuddles or emotion. You, you can you can read about this and different stuff. Often, in their adulthood, really struggle because they've no been on the receiving end of any um, human touch yeah. they've not been on the receiving end of the human touch or they've not had the touch for humans or the love or the cuddles or the the compassion for humans and many studies have been done that when children have been neglected that in years later they suffer because of that uh, Jesus is no someone who just heals and we've spoken about this from all through the gospel of John Jesus is somebody who loves, who also heals. (laughs) In some of the church today, it's all more about healing than it is about the relationship. And if it's all about healing and no relationship, then it would be at Mass. Jesus only heals one guy at the pool of Bethesda. He just pulls one guy who's blind and heals him. And he touches him. It says he touches him. Okay, I think time's starting to go, but... uh, We'll continue next week. Uh, I'll just finish with a bit of scripture. Therefore, the neighbor and those who previously had seen the man was blind said, Is this not he who sat and begged? And some said, This is he. Others said he is like him. He said, I am he. I love when it says I am he. It's almost like Jesus says, you know, when he says to the woman in chapter four that he the, the woman in the Samaritan woman who's the Messiah, I am he. It's almost the man's using that. How were your eyes open? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Shalom and wash. So I went and washed and received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? And he says, I do not know. As it concludes next week and we'll conclude into this and into the next few weeks, uh, a lot of stuff starts to unfold. The parents come in, they don't know who he is. And all sorts of stuff starts to manifest. Suffice to say, but... uh, if there are take home the day, it's, it's this. It's, it's the part of the start of the scripture when we're so consumed. We are in stuff and our own problems and our own battles and our own rejection and our own pain that we don't actually see people or notice people or care for people or love people. Or, oh, and when we leave here, the the, the hope is, is that we start to notice people regardless what's going on in our life we start to care for people regardless of what's going on in our life and at enemy we would love you to just be consumed with self and try to find the cause of everything in your life really when Jesus is the answer how many people do we meet on a daily basis and it's all about how we can help them how we can solve their problem how we can help them deal with their life but yet we don't talk to them about Jesus who's right there yeah. I spoke about it last week that we don't does people know that we're people of the way that we don't even talk about Jesus uh, because we're so consumed with what we need. Uh, Don't you think it's amazing? I heard somebody saying this. Don't you think it's amazing that sometimes we just can't fix our own problems? Don't you think we're maybe wired to not be able to fix our own problems (laughs) at times? But yet we're so able to help other people with their problems. Maybe we're meant to be like that. We're meant to help people and serve people and not be consumed with what's going on in our own life. But I think too many, too many times I've missed people and I've missed helping people and serving people because I've had that much stuff going on in my own mind and my own head and my own world that I've not been able to actually care for people and serve people, mm. love people, have compassion on people. It's amazing how little compassion you've got when you're in a bad mood, isn't it? because he's somebody else, how little care you've got. How you think everybody's there to serve you and your world and your problems and your dilemma. What they've done to me and what we've no done to me. Oh, we're living in the times, aren't we? We're living in the times where everybody's become so, what's the word, snowflakes? Everybody's just so consumed with their own self and the only way we can get away from that the only way we can get away from that is by developing and having this intimate relationship with Jesus Christ that takes us away from self and starts to take our eyes off ourselves self and start to look to other people and start to care. When Jesus came off the mountain after praying he says he was moved with compassion because he's seen all the sheep without a shepherd. People who were lost and other things. I would love to have a... I'd love to see revival. I'd love to... But won't, we won't be able to fake it. I'd love to see revival coming as, a, as an antidote and an opposite of the postmodern world that we're living in where everybody thinks God is everything and God is anything. I just read recently about a man called Joshua Harris. Joshua Harris is a young free and reformed guy. And he was part of a Young Free and Reform movement. Some of it really good. Uh, But he decided that him and his wife's going to split up. (laughs) I can understand. I'm not judging that. Things are tough. And that's that's not the sad bit that that's happened, although that's sad for him. What the sad bit is, is then he announced that he's no longer a Christian and doesn't believe in Jesus and he's now following this new modern postmodern Jesus is I'm sorry and he's apologised to the LBGTQ plus 4, 5 7, 12, 15 38 whatever it is he's apologised to all that now he's apologised to everything he's mentioned about the word of God he's apologised to publicly uh, and says he's got it wrong we're living in different times today. Gods know that and gods know that. God's whatever you make 'em. And he's announcing that for that stuff. This is this is the times we're living in. This is I believe in this day and age, I think it's harder. And I know they lived in time back then, it must have been hard during John Edwards' time, Jonathan Edwards' time and George Whitfield, when they were all into that enlightenment stuff. But I believe we're living in times of day, perilous times, where we're living in times of day we're standing out and preaching the gospel. It's harder now than ever because there's 95%, 96%, 97% of people who have got another answer and another philosophy and another way of living and another way to solve problems. We've got more in our world today than we've ever had to compensate our pain compensate our loneliness compensate uh, it's not just alcohol and drugs you've got alcohol, drugs and 7,000 million TV stations you've got Love Island seriously wannabes want to be famous for wearing their clays you know what I mean and people loving it Do you know what I mean and people loving it thinking that's the way to live so, so he stand up and preach the gospel old fashioned gospel like the way Jonathan Edwards and George Whitefield did you've got to look like a lunatic. Maybe. I will close by saying this I love this the man wasn't looking for Jesus the man was blind he couldn't even see Jesus Jesus was looking for him and Jesus found him. Yeah. Jesus found him. And the man was blind; he wasn't a clue. I don't even know. He must have been. like, what's going on here with this mud, and my stuff? As the story unfolds, but you know, it's amazing uh, how the man has led to salvation, and his families know because of the religion that they're carrying. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Hope United. You can stay connected with us through our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages.